All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. So uh, you had some persimmons seeds. Yes. So, you know, we talk about persimmons like every year on the show. And the husband and I, we have been walking. We have kind of like a little cul-de-sac just down the road from us. And since it's been getting darker earlier, Mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of time to actually drive into the city, take a walk on the nice trail. So we've been walking the little cul-de-sac. Plus we get to know our neighbors. So that's, it's a win-win. Absolutely. Um, Anyways, when we were walking back, we were walking the side of the road and our fence line is right there. And Ryan saw these little fruit things and he's like, what are those? So he went up and he picked a couple of them and he has this app on his phone. My mom has that. Yeah. So he, you know, took a photo of it and then the app was like, it's a persimmons. That's so cool. So anyways, we cut one open and I don't know if like when you're supposed to cut them open. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we had missed the mark or we had picked them too early at this point, but they were very gel-like inside. So I don't know if they were just ripe or... Uh Uh-huh. Anyways, I couldn't see anything. Uh, So I don't know if I missed the mark or if it was too early, but... So we'll have to give it a little time. I know. Try it again. So I had been uh, driving around in my old little Humpty Dumpty dump truck, and I saw the little like furry like inchworms, uh, maybe inchworms, I don't know, the ones that are black and brown. Right. And they looked pretty black to me. And that usually, I think, indicates we're going to have a winter this year. I saw one of those the other day as mm-hmm. well. And well, in my neck of the woods, because me and you, mm-hmm. we live probably an hour away from each other. Uh, it's, it's I think, right at an hour. So, you know, I think you would be a little bit further north, I guess, than I mm-hmm. am. So, so a my, different. The one I saw on my property was really dark brown. Oh. So I'm not exactly sure what that means. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't black. It was... In fact, brown. Ah, well, that's good to know. I know. For I'll sure. have to look it up. I've been watching, you know, the forecast, and this is a La Nina year, I think is, oh, yes. is what I had heard, uh, which means we should have some weather coming in um, if I understood the forecast right. But, you know, that's kind of a, a wild guess on their part, which, you know, I'm not throwing stones. I mean, they're trying to predict the future, you know, basically. So time will tell, I suppose, but it's been pretty mild so far. We had that one kind of pretty good little cold snap right around um, Halloween, I believe. And it was kind of rainy and drizzly and got down below freezing and whatnot. Still didn't take all the flies out. Uh, It did definitely dampen the mosquitoes kind of around at least us. Uh, We live kind of close to the river down there by uh, Delaware Town Access. So not too far away that we've got a pretty good water source, but it is a good moving water source. So it's just going to be an interesting time this year. My goal is to get uh, the snowplow working on my little dump truck to where I can hopefully push the snow that we have and not use the four-wheeler this year, the tractor. But, you know, it's not been that long ago we went over five years with no snow. Yeah. And the last year we had a couple of good, last couple of years we've had a couple of good snows and it got pretty bitterly cold. So, you know, this kind of goes back to the grasshopper and the ant, the old fable. I like to bring that one up, but I feel like I'm just prepping for winter, trying to make sure that, uh, you know, the heating costs are hopefully going to be decent. I've got a good couple of cord of firewood put up for us. And then I'm probably going to do... Uh, pellet stove install. I've been talking to some of my folks that have them and they uh, 
they really speak highly of a pellet stove. So versus paying the propane company a billion gajillion dollars to heat the house, I want to have some redundancies or some options, if you will. So that's kind of the the plan. Are you guys doing any deer hunting this year? We are. So the husband, he has been out a couple different times, hasn't mm-hmm. gotten anything. Yeah. So I told him he's not allowed to come home <laughs> oh, <laughs> until he does. Wow. I Look, I really want my jerky this year, oh, okay? Yes. I don't blame that. <laughs> they are amazing. Um, I'm hoping to spend a little time or have spent a little time at this point up north, seeing if I can do some hunting up close to Iowa. Um, oh, very fun. Beautiful area up there. There is antlerless deer season coming up in December. So if things don't work out right now, they do have a basically a doe season uh, coming up still left in the year. But the year is winding down. It really is. Can you believe that? So last week we kind of jumped the gun and we did a show on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving travel. Yep. So if you are traveling and you want to kind of listen to that, that show has a lot of good information mm-hmm. from what days you need to hit the road to what time frames, which days are the worst and what days are the best. And I think I mentioned it on air, actually. So AAA, they always do kind of a rundown or a breakdown, if you will, of expected travel Mm -hmm. over the Thanksgiving weekend. And I mentioned that they always send it out. And of course, like the day (laughs) after we did the show, of course, they send it out. But they are estimating that 55.4 million Americans are expected to travel over the Thanksgiving weekend. Hmm. Yeah. So that is 2.3 more than last year. That's a bunch of folks. That is. And it looks like the vast majority of people are going to be traveling by automobile and uh, other train or let me try that again other travel so like buses trains Mm -hmm. cruises etc etc but yeah automobile is actually dominating this year so 49.13 million people are expected to travel by their vehicle so if that is you just be careful out Mm -hmm. there most definitely because it is going to be wild as well as you know i think we touched on this last show but you know when you're traveling especially off hours or on a holiday weekend your resources are much less than normal because you don't have a lot of the repair shops that are open the parts stores that are open um you know there are roadside uh, assistants or, or um you know tow truck operators they typically are open but you're going to pay more of a premium so you need to be prepared of what happens like Something I do or notice quite often, we travel back and forth to St. Louis quite often for our our wee one, and I kind of try and watch. There is a couple of areas where I know the towing companies in that area, so if something does happen, um, I at least have a local person that I, you know, whether you saw it on a billboard or you, there's a couple that I can see from the interstate that I always try, and, and I think Freedom Towing is one of them. Um, but I always try and keep that in mind. We had uh, one of our folks kind of in our network kind of break down the other night, and they had roadside service, which, you know, was great. Uh, Vehicle was overheating, so they couldn't drive it. But I think it was almost two and a half, well, an hour and a half to two and a half hours before they had a tow truck come and pick them up. That's a long time to sit somewhere. It is. And, you know, thankfully everything went well. They got to the shop. You know, nothing. They were able to shut the vehicle down before it overheated too bad. I don't believe anything catastrophic happened or collateral damage due to the overheat. We were able to fix the, you know, the leak and and go on and get them back on the road. But the point being is, you know, 
for years, especially here in Springfield, if I called a tow truck, I'd have one in about 30 minutes. And it's just not quite the case anymore. Um, and, and that's not just automotive. I think that's everybody out there. Um, I was at Wheeler Metal picking up uh, some steel here in town this week. And I overheard the management people talking there with a customer. And basically, the, like, you know, even non-skilled labor, just somebody to come in and, you know, pull, pull steel, they don't have anybody putting in applications. Um, they don't have anybody interested in showing up. Uh, for a 40-hour work week or lifting heavy things or working outside in some of the, the climate and weather. So it's really, I don't want to say it's getting interesting, but, you know, if, if we don't have people that want to do those jobs, we're really going to be in a spot. And so when you're traveling or whether you're doing whatever, you need to keep that in mind. And I guess that's why I kind of always talk about being your, your first line of defense, if you will, whether it's security or you know, having the equipment to fix a breakdown on the side of the road or, you know, just do basic things. Essentially, you are your first responder in whatever, you know, crisis that you have. And I hope everybody's vehicles run and, and do what they need to for this holiday season. But that's something that needs to really be at the top of your mind is that, okay, is this my only vehicle? And if I take it on this long trip and it breaks down, how big of a life uh, impact is that going to be? And what am I going to do about it? So it's just, I guess we're trying to push a little bit of thought process or, you know, provoke a little thought, but Sarah and I are going to step into our first break. We're going to pick it up on the other side. We'll be right back. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right. Welcome back. You got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, you called me out here on the vehicle that I'm yeah, driving. Yeah, I noticed that you've got a little yellow slip and it's a Dodge. It is a and Dodge. And I know you pretty well and yep. I know you're not a big Dodge fan. No, so. and I'm not, but we do work on a ton I knew of them. that wasn't your personal vehicle. No, this one has a intermittent issue and I'm trying to catch it for hmm. this customer. Um, it happens about every 30 days, I think, while he's using it, um, you know, and essentially all the lights will go off on the dash. It'll get a little security message. And if they turn it off, it won't restart for a while. Hmm. But uh, since it's arrived, it has started every time and we have oh, driven no, it. of course. So that's kind of part of what we do day to day or uh, what I do, I guess, more and more is when we get a weird one, you know, those are, I, I don't do, you know, the normal brake jobs and ball joints and whatnot much anymore. Um, but when we get weird ones, you know, between me, Darren, Cody, Jason, James, you know, uh, I've got a lot of great fellas that uh, Charles, Wayland, et cetera, Harlan, that help me with these weird ones because they've either been somewhere else or we've tried a few different things and it didn't get it taken care of. So that's why I'm driving an old Mopar, Mopar no car today is... Uh, <laughs> That it's intermittently acting a fool, and right now it's not acting a fool, well, so I it's hard to figure it. it out. Yes, we will. We will. It's mainly it kind of stinks for the customer to be without their rig for a while, but sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, the the old adage, you know, that you have the magic box that you plug in there, and it just tells you what's wrong with it. Unfortunately, I have not, you know, not had that uh, that tool truck show up yet that's just always right. So. A lot of what we do is catching it when it's it's acting up, and then we can make our repairs from there. But, um, you know, I had some folks call me the other day. They were broke down. It was actually a friend of a friend's car, 
and they're trying to describe it over the phone and tell me what's going on. And so I'm like, hey, you know, I'm either going to have to come look at it or you're going to have to get it to one of the shops, one or the other. And they're like, well, we're just going to take it to big box parts store that says free testing and analysis. And, you know, I, I didn't know how to really express that over the phone. But, you know, those people are in the business of selling parts. They're not in the business of figuring out what parts your car needs. And guessing gets very expensive in today's day and age. And a lot of times, um, I had one recently, actually. Customer had taken it to two other shops. They had a whole bunch of aftermarket parts, um, blower motor, resistor, etc. Still didn't work. So they paid their bill there and then brought it to us. And I ended up finding a bad ground out underneath the hood. And the the biggest thing about that and the reason that I bring this up today is the quality of parts. I can tell what's on it, you know, from big box parts store or whatever. And I wish I had the OE original parts because the OE original parts are much better quality. I can see it with a lab scope. I can see it with the amp clamp, etc. And so they threw, shotgunned a bunch of parts at it, didn't identify the original root cause. And now, okay, I fixed the root cause, but the inferior quality of parts, those, they're not going to last very long and they're going to have further problems because A, they guessed and put crappy stuff on it. B, they didn't diagnose it in the first place. So that was a kind of a little bit of a rant. So thank you for being patient with that. But that's, that's the things I think that people don't quite realize is that you know, you can't just throw parts at these cars and think that they're going to perform like they're supposed to. Does that make any sense? It does. And actually, while you were talking about that, the gears were turning in my head yeah. because I actually have an automotive question oh, for okay. you. Oh, okay. What you got? And every single time it happens, I tell the husband that he needs to take it in or he needs to remember to tell you guys yeah. whenever he has an oil change. Okay. And he never does. So I'm going to call him out on radio. I'm sure he appreciates that. Of course he is. Uh, So (laughs) we have noticed that he has been burning through taillights and headlights kind of quick Uh and they will go out like one right after Uh another. It seems like like he, for instance, went through a taillight Uh and then the very next day his headlight was out. Uh So then he went ahead and he replaced both of them. And then next thing you know, the other taillight was out. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm asking is, is is that just coincidence or could there be something a little bit more that we need to be aware of? So it's more than likely just coincidence. A lot okay. of the service manuals, and I didn't agree with this for a lot of years, they recommend you replacing bulbs in pairs. Okay. And I thought, well, if that other bulb's working, then why would I? Uh, you know, it's either good or bad. If it's working, it's good. I did have noticed over the last few years there'll be a brightness difference sometimes from mm-hmm. especially headlights, not necessarily taillights or whatnot. Um, but that's one thing that typically I am to the point now that I do recommend them in pairs. If the customer doesn't want to do that, that's fine. The second thing, though, is longevity-wise, um, there's two things that'll cause bulbs. You know, there's other things, but two main things. One would be water intrusion into the lamp. If you get, like, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, honestly even some of them they'll condensate or they'll develop a leak in the seal and it'll fill with rainwater. but sometimes i'll have an inch or two worth of water inside the bottom of a lens and i see that quite often now if you order like the amazon or ebay lenses for super cheap you're kind of getting what you pay for they will work for a while but they will leak much more prematurely than the oe lenses but the oe lenses which is original equipment they uh 
are going to cost you a tremendous amount more. So if you have moisture intrusion, that'll definitely cause bulbs to go bad. Um, they do have something called bulb grease, which I also thought was kind of a snake oil thing, but it's a uh, contact enhancing grease. It also conducts and allows electrical flow a little bit better, and that'll keep you from having socket issues. Um, if I have a repeat failure in one where I'm losing a bulb quite often, it's usually a weak tension on the contacts of the electrical socket. And then the other thing, and this is something I learned from my dad years and years and years ago, is when you're changing a bulb, you do not want the oils from your skin to get on that bulb. Hmm. And so I use a uh, uh, like a detail tack cloth to change my bulbs in and out because the oil on your skin will get on the glass of the bulb. It allows that to cook and superheat that portion of the bulb. And that will burn out the filament much quicker. Hmm. So if you're using your hands to change those bulbs, the life of them will be much less. I didn't even think of that. I you know, had my old man who was a, a pain body man most of his life. So he dealt with a lot of lenses and bulbs and whatnot. That, I'm sure that was something he learned. And I've seen it in service information. And I've also done it wrong and, you know, burned out bulbs prematurely. So that's one of those things that's not really a big deal. Um but it's that little extra, those little tricks of the trade, if you will, that, you know, beans, we do this all day long. That's just something we figured out. And the bulb grease in the socket. I definitely recommend the bulb grease in the socket. Okay. All right. Well, I will remember that. Bullshit. I do also have a text in question oh, okay. for you. So two questions. They would like to know your thoughts on some trucks and SUVs um, have specific places for secondary car batteries. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you elaborate on oh, those? Yeah, and then I'm going to just read through the rest <laughs> of this. Does the truck SUV know it has one installed? Does it help with cranking? Is it accessory only? And will it deplete without the vehicle running? My other question is recently with the nice cool weather we've had. I've been having my windows down as I drive more often, and I've noticed a lot of cars that turn off at lights, then restart as the driver pushes the pedal. Won't that just burn through a starter? Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the car shutting off itself and you shutting it off at a light and then restarting it? Thank you, and Dustin, once again. Now, I want to weigh in on that car starting thing because I am in a vehicle right now that has that automatic shut off you love it don't you that thing drives me absolutely <laughs> nuts and it's crazy because there is actually a little button uh -huh. where i can turn it off yep. but it does not remember it mm -hmm. every single time i start my vehicle and stop my vehicle so what i mean by that is if i'm driving and i turn it off it'll stay off for the entirety of when mm -hmm. i have my vehicle on but then if i go shut my vehicle off you know i run some errands and then i come back it completely resets yep. so i have to remember to do it i have noticed personally that I feel like my vehicle, whenever it shuts off and then restarts at a stoplight, it mm -hmm. feels almost a little rough. Yeah. And I think it's because it's continuously doing mm -hmm. that, the shutting off and on. And I asked you that same question. Mm -hmm. I don't, maybe I asked it off air or maybe I asked it probably a month or so ago yeah. and you had kind of weighed in on it, but oh, yeah. I will let you answer those questions. So first off, I love the text in questions because I get kind of in a bubble you know, and I want to talk about this or that. And that doesn't necessarily mean what you guys want to hear about. So for anybody that takes the time to write us a text in, that's fantastic. And I appreciate that greatly. Second thing is I literally, my, uh, it's a 2012 six liter Chevy. 
Most of those Chevy pickups come with a secondary battery tray. It's all in there already. And so I've installed a secondary battery in mine because I'm doing a lot of jump starts. I'm doing you know, a lot of electrical loads and demands on my truck. So I'm a big proponent of a secondary battery. Um, you see it predominantly in the diesel market, but the gas ones for sure. So they're very easy to install if it's already kind of equipped like my truck was. If it's not got the space for it, it's a little more difficult. Um, so if you have it, I would use it personally. So when I have a truck or an SUV that comes with the location for a secondary battery, I install it. It does not... Um, it won't discharge unless I have a parasitic drain, which is basically an electrical load that's, you know, demanding or pulling on the battery's reserve capacity. It double or triples your reserve capacity depending on how, what style battery that you put on, uh, that you install. So essentially you can run electrical loads a long time after you've shut the vehicle off and it will be just fine. As far as the smart charging systems of whether you need to tell it or it knows that there's another battery in there, it really isn't that particular on it. It just gives you a tremendous more cranking capacity. So if the vehicle's not starting, you can crank it for a lot longer before the batteries are dead, as well as you have the extra amperage that kicks the, the vehicle off a little bit better. Um, so I'm a big proponent. I would definitely install it in there. Um, you won't have to make any big corrections to it. Um, and it's a huge plus in my book. But Sarah and I are down at the bottom of the hour. Thank you very much for the question. You're listening to 1041 KSGF. We'll be right back after the break. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. All right. Welcome back. Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. I think I covered most of the points from our texting question, with the exception of the start and stop function. Um, the wear and tear on the starter and the flywheel definitely is more, as well as the cost of that starter is definitely more, as well as the location of a lot of those starters is more difficult to get to. So they took a really simple, robust system. They complicated it to no end and they made it work, you know, 15 times harder than it normally did. So the tech side of me, when I am in a stop and start vehicle and I feel it cut off, like my heart always skips a beat because, you know, for years, that's what I've been diagnosing and troubleshooting, et cetera, is a stall essentially. And so when they do that, I always think, you know, the worst that, oh, it's not going to restart. So I am not a fan of the system. I personally, for the gas mileage increase, that it is, it's not worth it in my book, but that's not really why they did it, by the way. I mean, they might have got a few tenths to the gallon. They did it for the carbon footprint, in my opinion. And so when a vehicle's not running, obviously it's not emitting any emissions. And so the carbon footprint is what it's, you know, trying to satisfy the government standards, along with you get a, a marginal increase in fuel economy. But when I do have a start-stop starter uh, you know, fail, um, they're usually twice to three times what a standard starter replacement is. Uh, most of them beings that technology is still fairly new. Um, I have to order a lot of those. Um, you cannot put a subpar like aftermarket part or quality on a lot of those. So in my humble opinion, if I'm driving a start stop vehicle, I'm going to probably either turn it off 
or do whatever research depending on make and model that will keep it from doing that so some cars if you have the heater on recirculate um, and the the uh, heat load or the air conditioning load is high it won't stop at the stoplight it'll keep continuously running i know for some of my f-150 uh, owners out there you can plug a six blade rv test terminal into the trailer plug and when the truck sees a you know something connected to the trailer plug and most of those guys or ladies will leave those in all the time. It, it will turn off the start-stop start, function automatically. So you don't have to reset the button every time you get into the vehicle. So, you know, for what it's worth, uh, the text-in question was pretty much right on the money. It is more difficult, it is more costly, and it is harder on the system. As well as it's really not in the benefit of the customer, in my opinion, for the start-stop function. We think about all them apples. Sarah. I don't like the start-stop function. I, I don't think anybody does, to be honest. It drives me nuts. I'm not a fan of it. I did notice I drove uh, a Lexus the other day that had the start-stop start stop function. And it gave me a message on the um, the little uh, you know gauge cluster that said something to the effect of push the brake pedal harder for the start-stop function to work. Huh. So I did, and immediately it stalled, and I figured that on that Lexus, the tension of the brake pedal, yeah, I could push it slightly to leave me stopped at the stoplight, and it wouldn't stall. And so that would be just a learned habit on the Lexus, but you know, if you weren't mashing down on the brake pedal, you wouldn't have to worry about the start-stop function, and it would do it kind of on its own. Hmm. But All right. The F-150s, that's been one of the coolest ones that i found that you can plug that... Uh, trailer tester in there and then it turns it off permanently so you don't have to reset it each time but i'm sure there's some other ones out there but those are the main ones that i know about so we also had somebody send us a video and they asked us mm. hold on stand by here okay they asked if you had heard about this yet so stand by you guys want to see what's coming to the future of gasoline vehicles too watch this this is a training session on a 2024 Lincoln Nautilus that's soon to be coming out, if it's not out already. The exhaust emission control system features a catalytic converter, gasoline particulate filter, and exhaust pressure sensor. A GPF. The catalytic converter plays a major role in the emission control system. A gasoline particulate filter, or GPF, if equipped, is a device designed to remove gasoline particulate matter from the exhaust gas of a gasoline engine. The soot and particulates that develop during the normal combustion processes are stored in the GPF. The GPF is cleaned in two different ways, passive regeneration and active regeneration. GPFs, your gasoline engines now going forward are going to have gasoline particulate filters. It's very similar to the DPFs, which are on diesels. Emissions, emissions, emissions. When are we going to catch a break? So I am familiar. I actually have seen that video. I am familiar with the technology going into that. I actually own a diesel with a DPF, diesel particulate filter. That is the uh, DPF fluid that you see. I don't know if you notice that. Uh, DEF, you'll see on some truck stops, or you'll see those uh, two-and-a-half-gallon jugs of urea. Um, mm, okay. So all those words are big-money words. And all those are some of the biggest reasons why you have diesels failing or leaving guys or gals stranded out there on the road. The emissions 
um, are plagued with problems, to be honest. And any of the cost of repairing those is extremely expensive. And here's kind of the caveat to a lot of that is the damage to the DPF or GPF in this in this instance is usually related to the engine not running at peak combustion or contamination. So either way, that, that could do it. So long story short is if you don't take primo care of your rig or if you idle the vehicle for a long time, I see damage to those GPF and DPF systems, which is emissions related. It it has no bearing or function on the car actually, you know, being able to operate other than when it's not happy. It will cause the car not to run or go into a limp mode or low power mode. So whoever sent that in, thank you and kudos for that, because that's information we need to get out there to folks. And we are buying these vehicles. It's driving the cost of ownership up. It's driving the purchase price up. And this is all in the name of, you know, basically squeezing us to go green, if you will. So I I love nature. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But this DPF situation, when you look at the amount of urea that you buy, the plastic jugs that it comes in that, you know, you end up having to throw away, you're really throwing good money after bad, in my opinion. Yes. Does it clean the tailpipe emissions up? Yes, it does. And I can tell you that with authority. I've done those tests. But they're not looking at it in the big picture and the amount that it took to make those plastics and make the cardboard and, you know, formulate their urea. And then... When you do have a problem with the system, these are thousands of dollars to repair. I mean, I could put an engine or transmission in a vehicle, rear differential, transfer case, fill in the blank, for what some of these emission systems are costing. And so this is driving up the the failures or down the reliability rate of vehicles, as well as in the name of lower tailpipe emissions at the expense of you know, many other emissions to create all this garbage. It's really, it's a tax, in my opinion, that they're putting on transportation and cost of ownership. Does that make any sense there? I think so. It's, is that not crazy? Um, that video opinion? that I was sharing the audio from, it's from a gentleman named Diesel Tech Chris. And I will go ahead and put that video up yeah. in our show podcast because there was a lot of visuals mm-hmm. that went with it. He yeah. was doing some kind of um, I'm going to probably get this wrong. Some type of testing where you could also see like pictures mm-hmm. and video. So, so it's online learning. We, yes. we have this through our company as well. That's partially how our techs are trained. We do some hands-on lecture live stuff as well. But the virtual learning is really something that's coming mainstream out there. Kudos for whoever's keeping up with what's going on. But Sarah and I need to take one more break. We're going to wrap the show up in a little bow right after this. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back. You got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, that last segment, you know, as I'm kind of reflecting and thinking about it, you know, obviously I own a diesel pickup with a diesel particulate filter. Um, I had a diesel pickup and I have a few different ones still that are pre-emissions. Uh, I say pre-emissions. They have emissions on them. They're, they're less strict than this new system that we were just kind of talking about. It really makes me want to hold on to my older vehicles. Uh, A, cost-wise, cost of ownership, typically they're paid for, so I don't have to, uh, you know, continue that. And I can take some of that money, which, you know, is 
you know, by the time you make a four to seven hundred dollar a month payment, you can fix a lot of a vehicle for that kind of money a month. So it really pushes my mindset that, you know, whatever vehicles that I do have right now, I want to keep them going as long as possible. And at some point, even me, I'll have to dive into a newer vehicle. But it's not uncommon for you to see my personal vehicles. A, I buy them broken normally. Um, B, I rehab them like to the max to even the fact that I've got a good buddy of mine. You know, he always laughs of how far I go in rehabbing or reconditioning a vehicle for myself. But in the big scheme of things, yeah, did I probably spend more on it than, you know, the used market? You know, like I couldn't sell it and get my money back out of it. But what I can do is I can drive the wheels off that thing dependably without a lot of issues because I went to the max right out of the gate. So, for instance, um, a dear buddy of mine uh, took a good road trip in our Honda Element. He went out to Tennessee, went from Tennessee to somewhere in Texas, and then home. So I don't know how many miles that was. He got 26 miles to the gallon in our Honda Element. You want to take a wild guess of the mileage that's on that little element that he just took that road trip in. I have not a clue. 244. Wow. 244,000 miles. And I had a customer in the office the other day, the first time I'd met him, super cool gentleman. He's a business owner here in Springfield, I believe. Uh, he's like, oh, I don't know that I can get the mileage that Dustin gets out of his, his vehicles. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it just depends. A, you need to start with the right vehicle. You do not want to start with, you know, certain vehicles because no matter how good I am, you are, whoever your mechanic is, those vehicles just aren't designed to go that many miles. Secondly, there's certain characteristics that I'm looking for. And this diesel particulate filter or gas partic gasoline particulate filter is definitely not one of them as far as dependability is um, right out of the gate. So I can get a vehicle uh, that has a zero or low emissions, so I'm still taking care of the environment. All's good there without buying myself problems with these late model systems that, you know, we're going to have to do urea injection, etc., and cause the cost of ownership and the reliability both to suffer. So that's a big, big deal. And we can still take road trips in our older vehicles. You know, the fact that that rig was able to go, we actually, this summer, so just to kind of tell you where some of those miles came from, uh, we drove it to Florida and back. Hmm. We, obviously, it just went out there. It's been to St. Louis a few times. It runs around local for us. That's kind of our main grocery getter. Uh, very utilitarian. I know everybody thinks they're kind of ugly, um, but I like the fact of what I can do with them. You can fold the seats up and have kind of a cargo van area. You get decent to, to what I would consider good fuel economy. It's not a powerhouse, but it does a really good job as far as getting around and functioning like I need a vehicle to function. I don't always need to be towing. Sometimes I just got to go to Sam's and get me some, some vittles, you know what I mean? So it's one of those things that, you know, not everything I have is a billion miles, um, but that's my goal with whatever vehicles that I have. I just um, um, did some work on another Honda Element. It had 220, I think, on the ticker. It needed a transmission. We got it taken care of and back on the road. Went ahead and went through the suspension on it as well, brakes, ball joints, control arms, uh, fixed some oil leaks with it. We're going to uh, work out. I think it has an ABS light issue. And then that's going to be another great rig for us to run around in. So really doing the work on the front side to buy the correct vehicle 
and then investing in that vehicle and and then being able to get your investment back in being able to drive that rig. So it's it's the name of the game. You know, I don't want to be making payments on a vehicle that I'm having problems with. Um, sometimes you do, though, and you need to make sure you're as proactive as possible. So a lot of what we're doing, whether it's for me or one of the kids or a loved one or even some of you, know, you folks that have gotten on board with the pre-purchase inspections, uh, sometimes it's a post-purchase inspection, but you being informed before you hand the money over is very, very important. Um, you know, have I bought some vehicles that I, you know, didn't see all the things that, you know, it was going to need? Yeah, because normally I buy them on a online auction and you really can't do the pre-purchase inspection. But I know the vehicles that I'm buying through and through as well as I, you know, watch for the barrier of entry or the cost that they are and make sure that I buy them right on the, on the front side. You know, people talk about you get you know, your investment or you make your money on the purchase, not the sale. And for a long time, I didn't quite understand that. But now I feel like I've got a, a better understanding. You know, you're not making your money when you get rid of the vehicle or you drive it for, you know, many miles. You're making your money or you're getting a return on investment because you were a good steward on the purchase side. You were an informed buyer. You know, I've talked about this a lot where, you know, and, and I've done it too, you know, like, oh man, I love that truck, the way it sits, the stance, the wheels, the tires, the stereo, the tinted windows, the color, you know, whatever the it factor is for you, you know, maybe you're somebody that likes lifted trucks or lowered trucks or lowered cars or fast cars, whatever it is, fill in the blank with your, your, your it. My point is, is you get emotional and you'll overpay for it and then you're upside down on it. So if you're getting a loan or paying it outright in cash, whatever it is, you have to do your best possible job on the front side during the purchase and really hold or be disciplined on the emotional side of it to make sure that long term, this is going to be a good fit for you and your family or whoever it is. Um, you know, that's kind of something I've done, you know, with the kids. Now, between Stacy and I, we've got uh, two drivers um, out there that have been driving for quite a few years now that we were able to get vehicles for rehab them and put them on the road. And they're still driving those vehicles. Actually, um, you know, one of our oldest uh, was able to take a trip, I think about eight hours in a 05 Kia Sorento. Um, knock on wood, everything went well. She was able to get up there, visit her friends, had a good time, making home no troubles. The, f the work on the front side for all that to happen. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I would love to have one. So if anybody's got a good deal on one out there, please let me know because I'd be interested. But I digress. Uh, we looked it over. We went through hoses. It needed a belt. I actually found a belt that was bad, and I'm going to have to put a new AC compressor on it. But we went through all the fluids, basic maintenance and service, tires, belts, hoses, found a bad one, repaired it, made sure it was in good shape and hedged our bet as much as possible for her to make a trip on her own, which is kind of her first long road trip on her own. And she was able to get back safely and with no breakdowns. So that's really where the mindset comes from or the proactive versus reactive. You know, a lot of folks just, you know, hey, it's been starting and getting me back and forth to work. So why wouldn't it make an eight hour trip? Well, a vehicle really, as it ages, gets to the point depending on care of whether it's a, what I consider a 50 miles from home, 100 miles from home vehicle, 
And fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, as I've grown up, we've had some vehicles that were a little less than par. And we have taken them further than they should have. And I've had some failures out there on the road. So because of those failures, I am much more hypersensitive to preventing those problems out on the road. And that's where a lot of this discussion is coming from, as well as essentially I'm putting my money where my mouth is. This is how I operate all of our vehicles. And if I can play a role in helping you with that, I definitely will. We've done car care clinics for the elderly, for women, for teens. Um, I really miss doing those, by the way. We've done uh, single mom car care clinics where we show you how to check your own oil, change your own tire. And if you all are interested in that, please send us a message because we used to do it through the Better Business Bureau with many shops here in town. It wasn't just an A1 custom car care event. And I really loved networking and working with the other shops. But the leadership of that changed and I don't know or I haven't been invited back to it if they're still doing it to where we can play a role in that and answer questions and show people on their car. I think that's one of the biggest things especially on late model cars when you open the hood sometimes even finding where the washer fluid goes the oil goes transmission fluid whether it has electric power steering or hydraulic that needs to be checked and serviced You know, a lot of folks, I think, or I know, don't do that on their own anymore. So they're not even, you know, open in their own hood, which is fine. Uh, You know, if you've got somebody that does that for you, that's awesome. I mean, that's essentially, you know, what we do all day long. But if you're interested in doing some of your own stuff and we wanted to put a car care clinic together, I would definitely do whatever I could, whether we hosted it, lectured on it, you know, showed you whatever's going on. So would that interest you, Sarah? I think so. Now, can I take two minutes of our time to talk about something? Shift gears here. Okay. So every year for as many years as I've been doing Santa's Angels, I know that A1 Custom Car Care has always partnered up with us for our Santa's Angels Christmas tree. And it is officially that time of so year excited. again. Yes. And so if you're not familiar with the Santa's Angels Christmas tree, we partner up with Great Circle. They are now known as KVC. Same company, mm-hmm. different name. Okay. We've partnered up with them for, I, I believe, either 16 or 17 years. And That's what we awesome. do is we partner up and we help area foster children mm-hmm. and we help provide them for a Christmas. And when I say we, I mean you, the listeners and yeah. all of the fine folks mm-hmm. that work with Every one of our companies that help us with the tree locations, I know that they chip in. And this is a tremendous amount of effort. So the reason I'm saying that is because we have just put the Christmas trees up. So whenever you go to the A1 Custom Car Care off of Sunset, Mm -hmm. you will see the tree. And I just wanted to read a couple of ornaments that you will see on the tree. And just to show you, these are the type of items that these children are asking for. Now, when I say children, I mean any child age from newborn all the way up to 21 as they are doing transitional living where they are starting to learn how to be on their own and they can get out there in the world. So Connie, she is two. She wants wooden building blocks, baby dolls and accessories, and she loves dinosaurs. So she wants a dinosaur stuffy. Harry, he's 18. This is right up your alley. He wants a screw extractor set a $15 Xbox card and a Spotify card 
And Angela, she is 20. She wants a crock pot, washcloths, and candles. Mm. These are the type of things that yeah. these, these kiddos ask for. So if you are interested in learning more about Santa's Angels, visit ksgf.com or just stop by the A1 Custom Car Care off of uh, Sunset Street. Now, believe it or not, but we are officially out of time. If you're out there and you have a question or a comment for us, feel free to text us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. You as well. Be safe out there. Bye.